Stop 5. The Forge. As you enter the forge, you are looking north. There are four major pieces of water-powered machinery in this building. To your right, on the east side of this building, are two stone finery hearths, each with two bellows attached. Each of these bellows is powered by a large oak water wheel outside. In ruins of the northwest quadrant of this building is where archaeologist Roland W. Robbins found the original 500-pound hammerhead from which this modern replica was patterned. The hammer is supported on an ash helve and held in the iron hearst that pivots within a wooden A-frame. Four large cams come from under the helve powered by the high breast shot water wheel outside. The water enters the wheel from just above its axle and passes beneath the wheel. The cams lift the hammer head up, forcing it into an ash spring or rabbit. The rabbit accelerates the hammer downward toward the large cast anvil mortised in a maple tree trunk embedded in the ground below. To the right of the hammer, is a rack of tools, including iron tongs and bars. In the southwest is another hearth, bellows, and an undershot, or paddle wheel, with a different function. The chafery, as it was called, was used to heat iron to a welding temperature for processing under the hammer. In the summer months, you may feel the heat from a charcoal fire in the hearth. Sow bars were dragged by oxen to the forge, for conversion from brittle cast iron into malleable wrought iron. Workers cladded with leather aprons, gloves, and boots would begin by building charcoal fires within the finery hearths. Cast iron sows would be placed in the fire horizontally and fed slowly into the fire for remelting to lower the carbon content. Once melted, the pasty mass of iron, or loop, is removed with large tongs by finers. These skilled iron workers brought specialized metallurgical knowledge to Saugus. Apprenticeships cultivated a sensory acuity needed to manage iron production. Changes in heat were seen through variations in color radiating from the iron. Forging colors ranged from the cooler reds and oranges up through the bright yellow of the highest heat. Hardness could be detected through the handle of the sledgehammer as the iron was being struck. Even sulfur content was monitored by the smell of brimstone. An example of a basketball-sized loop is situated in front of the northern finery on the floor, atop one of nine cast-iron plates leading to the hammer. Then, using the 500-pound hammer in the northwest corner of the forge, the hammermen squeezed excess slag from the loop and forged the iron into merchant bars, the major product of the Saugus works. Six wrought iron bars are set on the floor in front of the hammer. They represent the progression of steps taken to hammer the loop from the middle outwards into merchant bars. Wrought iron merchant bars were the primary product of the ironworks. The long internal fibers of the bar made it less brittle than cast iron, making it ideal for horseshoes, shovels, and other tools. Imported steel could be welded onto wrought iron axes and chisels to add a more durable cutting edge. 
Merchant bars were also the basic stock for the rolling and slitting mill, the next of the reconstructed buildings on the site. In late 1650, the local workforce was augmented by a group of 61 Scottish prisoners of war who arrived in Lynn as forced indentured workers. This created new tensions between the ironworks and the local community. These men had been captured at the Battle of Dunbar, Scotland, marched over 100 miles to Newcastle, then shipped across the Atlantic to ease the chronic shortage and high price of labor at the ironworks. Many Scottish prisoners were trained at Saugus, and they soon replaced local workers as carpenters, farmers, woodcutters, and miners, with some becoming ironworkers and blacksmiths. As you exit the forge through the east door, located between the two fineries, proceed across a wood deck that passes between two more oak water wheels. Overhead, a sluiceway carries water to power the water wheel on the right. A 12-foot ramp descends toward the rolling and slitting mill. As you enter the narrow passage through the rolling and slitting mill, there is a set of gears to your right and a stone furnace with a projecting iron plate to your left. The gears drive the top set of iron rollers and steel slitters.